2: You sign, a world-renowned graphic artist with the biggest names in music and the corporate world. Andy Wilson, an award-winning marketing and public relations executive with over 20 years of combined multi-level entertainment industry experience in the music and sports business.
0: Now let's buzz. Hello and welcome back to the Music Buzz podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Andy Wilson, along with Dane Clark. Hey, Dane, how are you today? Hi, Andy. Doing just fine, sir. Great. And also Hugh Syme. Hey, Hugh. Hey, Andrew. How are you? I'm well. Great to see you guys, as always. Today, we've got a great special guest. We've got a drummer, so hopefully Dane and and Doug won't gang up on us. But uh, we've got Doug Cosmo Clifford. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee, Doug Cosmo Clifford, joins us today. He's best known as a founding member and drummer from Credence Clearwater Revival, and also currently, Credence Clearwater Revisited. Clifford, along with Stu Cook and the Fogarty Brothers, John and Tom grew up in El Cerrito, California. CCR's music is a staple of American pop culture, and the group has sold nearly 30 million records in the U.S. alone. That's insane. Their 1976 Greatest Hits album, is still on the Billboard charts. It's always on the Billboard charts because it's awesome. One of the greatest selling records of all time. It's been awarded a 10 times platinum award and is ranked in Rolling Stone as the 82nd greatest artist of all time. The group performed on the Ed Sullivan Show. They performed at Woodstock. They've had their songs be the backdrops of countless movies and movie scenes and TV shows and major pop culture medias over the decades. Their music is truly an american treasure i mean you can't go in any place playing live music on a friday and saturday night in america and hear a a band not playing a ccr song right in 2020 cosmo also released his long-awaited solo album magic window which we're going to talk about today and we're thrilled to welcome to the music buzz podcast the legendary doug cosmo clifford welcome doug thanks guys thank you for joining us
2: hey doug Man, it's a great honor to talk to uh, one of the guys who invented my job. (laughs) Man, to my ears, you've always served the song as a drummer. I collected uh, CCR45. I have eight of them still. Six of them are on my jukebox over here from when I was a kid. And I'll come back to that. But I just want to say you've always been a big influence on me. I always thought you served the song perfectly. In 2005, John Mellicamp and John Fogarty played 38 shows together. Every night, I got to play Green River, which was one of the first 45s I'd ever bought. And I just got to say one of the coolest things about that song, and I never realized it until I studied it as just a drum part. No fills except with your bass drum. So cool, man. So smart. No Pat Boone, Debbie Boone. Just you did it all with your foot. And I tried, to, I tried to channel you when I played that. And I got to do it 38 times. It was some of the funnest stuff I ever did. And also, we did a show where we were his, we were John's backup man. We got to play Fortunate Son one time from that same period. And again, I got to play one of my favorite drum parts. Man, I tried to play it as close as you did, as close as I could to what you had done originally. And one of my favorite drum fills ever is that in the middle part of the song where it breaks down, you're just going, Pah! on the hi-hat, and then tattoo 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 ta Are you kidding me? That's one of the greatest rock fills of all time. Come on now. Just fantastic. You're a great inspiration to me. You are one-fourth of one of the greatest American rock bands ever. So for all the drummers out there, I'd like to get specific on just a few things. I always do this. It's, it's the drummer nerd section here, just a little bit. And I already said, how cool was that that you didn't even play a fill in Green River? Just with your foot. There's very few songs, maybe Satisfaction or Charlie didn't really play a fill, I don't think. There's very few songs that I could think of like that. Susie Q. Now, you're the only drummer I've ever heard that played a groove where you didn't ever play on one. I love that. I've stolen that several times. Boom, ba-boom, boom, ba-boom, boom, boom, through the whole song. The only time you hit one was when you, sooner or later, you had to hit a crash cymbal to, for the next session. You'd hit it, and then you got right back off of it. Very cool stuff, man. The other favorite one that I've used more more than any of your other drum beats, and I've used most of them, uh, Run Through the Jungle. Oh, yeah. So it's kind of turned around. You know, normally a rock drum beat, you think boom, crack, boom, boom, crack, or boom, k- boom, boom. But no, you went boom, 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 tom, tom, boom. Thank you for that beat. Because I've made a lot of money off that beat myself. It's really smart incredibly smart drumming all you drummers go back and listen to what doug was doing on those records and one thing that surprised me as i went back through everything yesterday was you guys kind of had a punk thing that i always liked it was just kind of gnarly like commotion it's kind of like gospel punk it's like nobody else was doing anything like that up around the band. it's almost like punk country just fabulous americana stuff the people's band is what I would call Creedence Clearwater Revival. From 68 to 70, you guys were an AM band. You had like those 845s all came out. And I, we'll talk about those later in that time period. And you were an AM band and an FM band because they would play Hurt It Through the Grapevine and Susie Q, the long version. Man, what a pleasure to have you here. You're one of my heroes. God bless you. <laughs> Now I'm going to take you back here to, uh, is it Portola junior high school? Portola. Portola. I wasn't sure. So that's how this whole thing kind of got started. Can you take us back to that period when you met with other guys?
3: Yeah. Well, I, I, uh, I, I, I wasn't playing an instrument at that time, but I was a huge fan of rock and roll and, uh, I started buying records, uh, when I was nine and, uh, the, uh, the first, uh, record I bought was a uh, roll with me, Henry, Etta James. I, I think it's a different title, but that's what I remembered most about. That was a hook that got me. I went, wow, listen to that. And I would play that over and over again. And they were 78. So the, you know, the, the medium was pretty, pretty crude. My second uh, uh, record I bought was Bo Diddley by Bo Diddley. And that, that I think, started the drumming thing deep, <laughs> deep inside. <laughs> so uh, and then I, you know, from then I, I, I was buying, uh, spending my allowance on, on on records. And I was walking by the music room and I hear Little Richard being played in the music room. And that was forbidden. There was no uh, rock and roll allowed in the music room. So Mrs. Stark must have been on a break or something. And then I, I listened. I see this skinny little kid. I'm watching from behind him. And uh, then he goes into uh, a Fats Domino song. And I go, ah, I, I know every every note he's playing uh, because I've got the records. So I, I let him go as long as he was going to go. He didn't know I was listening. And uh, I walked up to him when he stopped. And I said, hey, that's Fats Domino and Little Richard. He says, yeah. He said, uh, I said, uh, I've got all those records. And uh, I said, do you want to start a band? And he said, well, actually, I play guitar. I'm looking for a piano player. And I said, I know the guy. His name is Stu Cook. His dad's a rich lawyer. He's got a big rumpus room with a piano that's in tune. Where he can play piano. Uh, lo and behold, I'm talking, talking to John Fogerty. Uh, John Fogarty was the skinny kid who played guitar and not piano his piano playing wasn't that bad let me tell you so anyway we we started a an instrumental trio and uh uh he said what do you play and i said i played drums well i didn't i wanted to play drums and i had a i had a snare drum that i balanced on my mother's uh, flower pot stand it was wrought iron so there was you know three little pieces and this bullet like a piece of uh, fiberglass container that was very 50s. Uh, I would take that and put it in the corner and put my snare drum there. And I had a marching bass drum that a neighbor uh, let me have. And uh, I didn't realize that there was a, a pedal that was supposed to go with it. It just kind of something I could hide behind, you know. <laughs> so, but I was listening. Uh, to uh am radio uh, there was pre, pre uh uh fm fm hadn't started it it, it, it was kmpx was the first fm station uh, started by tom big daddy donahue uh in the bay area we'll get to that uh so anyway uh I, I you know i didn't ask Stu or his parents if we could do what we were doing but i'm wheeling and dealing i was kind of that kind of guy i i i i wasn't shy about things and uh uh, so he, he was very excited about it because they, he was lear- learning classical music, which he didn't really enjoy playing. And uh, But they made it, that's what the, the music teacher made him do. So they said, OK, yeah, great, we can do that. And You can practice here. And so that's how it all started. And later on, Tom Fogarty would come in and uh, take us into the studio because his band uh, didn't want to go to a, a recording studio. Because they weren't getting paid, even though Tom was fronting the whole thing and was going to drive to L.A. and try and get a deal. Secondly, there were no chicks there.
4: (laughs) I have to ask, Doug, Wikipedia, the great archive of misinformation, (laughs) references the moment when you and the band decided, yeah, we could do that, too, when you watched the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. Did that really happen? And did you really go out and buy wigs?
3: That, you know, that is funny. Uh, yes. And last <laughs> night I did, uh, on Sirius Radio, I did. Uh, I went on to the Beatles show. And, and we, they asked the same question. And that the first thing we purchased after seeing the Beatles was the, <laughs> the Be- Beetle wig. Fantastic. Yeah, yes. That's great. And it was a shot in the arm for us because we started when we were 13. And at least Tom's, I mean, uh, John, Stu, and I, Tom was four years older. And uh, uh, you know we, this, this, the Sullivan Show was a big break for us because Stu and I were going to college and we, there was separation from us and, and the brothers because we were going to San Jose State and what wasn't you know we weren't living next door or down the street from them now, which made it very easy to get together spontaneously to to work on music and or to go into a studio and and, and record, so uh, you know our lives were you know, we were sort of quote growing up, which we I still haven't done yet. But anyway, join the club, yeah, yeah. None of us happy, <laughs> but but anyway, we when we saw the Beatles, you know uh, that was a, we said God, you know. Uh, we, we got to stay together because these guys from Liverpool can come over with the same instrumentation that we have, you know, lead guitar, rhythm guitar, bass and drums. And they're playing a, a rock and roll as good or better than most of the, the, the rock and roll bands in our country. Uh, you know, if these guys can do it, we can do it. So it was a big, big, uh, a timely shot in the arm for us. Yeah, yeah. The Gollywogs at the time, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was another reason to get out of the business. Uh, that name, but uh, we, we we stayed with it. Uh, we, we were named the the Gollywogs by Max Weiss, who was uh, uh, part owner in uh, Fantasy Records, which was a jazz label, and uh, he he made no no. Um, uh, you no know, pretensions that uh, the reason why they wanted a rock and roll band, even though they you know, they didn't know anything about it, was they make money. And jazz artists didn't really sell the kind of records that they were looking for. So anyway, they 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 tagged us with that name and made us wear really really silly uniforms. And uh, uh, that was one of the things when we left that company and. Uh, well, we and then Zentz bought it actually, and and but uh, uh, re- the revival part of of the the name was a revival of ourselves. We're not going to put on s- some sort of uh, silly uniform. And Max would say, "You need a gimmick." We said, "Well, how about a hit record?" <laughs> <You know? laughs>
2: how did the Creedence Clearwater Revival? How did that come about?
3: Well, uh, Tom uh, had a friend uh, from South Africa named Creedence Newball. And of course, the word "credence" in uh, in the dictionary is honesty, truth, you know, and and uh, and that's what we were doing with the music that we were playing. Uh, a lot of people thought that uh, we should go with whatever was popular at the time, and but we were we were students of American rock and roll and 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 stayed that way, dedicated really, no question to that. Less is best. To, you know, my drumming uh, for example uh, I, I, I I would do breaks when we were a, an instrumental trio because there was no vocal support so I used to play a lot of breaks just to make the songs interesting or make it break it up a little bit and uh, uh, but I was learning to play by listening to top 40 radio meaning those were all hit songs so I'm listening to the best of the best by, you know, and, and it was, there were a lot of black artists, uh, uh, and then of course it was rhythm and blues, the, the local rhythm and blues station, it was the real deal, Jimmy Reed and oh, and yeah. people like that at that time. So that, that was, uh, kind of, kind of my, uh, education if you will uh, self-taught pencils on my books and and a little brass lamp my mother would come in are you you studying yes mom you were studying the radio yeah i studied the radio yeah uh, you doing your math yes i am one two three four one two three
0: (laughs) yes you were well doug if you could can you dial us back a little bit on the back to ed solomon show i saw i think where you guys performed on that was three times is that right two times in in, uh, uh, 1969 okay tell us about that experience obviously we talked to a lot of people on this podcast and a lot of them reference you know their life changing when they saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan but I don't think we've talked to anybody that was on the Ed Sullivan show like you so tell us about it
3: well you know if you've ever seen Ed on television he's he, he he would talk funny and his his body movements were kind of herky jerky and strange and and uh there, there was a reason for that and uh, uh, the reason was that uh, ed drank and ed uh, 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 when the, when we went to the to the show the the last rock and roll band they had was the rolling stones and they were not very nice. You know, they were, they got drunk. Uh, they took their beer cans and crumbled them up and threw them in the toilet and then crapped on top of it. I mean, the, the stones were they, were, they were assholes, you know, but you know, they're, they're the stones. That's all part of the, you know, that, that persona that, that, that they had following them around because that's what they did, that sort of thing. And we said, well, you know, well, now we, we're here to work. We work. We're, we're sober and we work. And this little guy. This was nine in the morning. I mean, we were there before anybody. His name was Eddie, and he was a stage manager. And he said, "You know, Ed drinks, and he reaches in his pocket and pulls out this well-used, uh, uh, well-dented flask and takes a hit himself." And I kind of said, "Well, Ed drinks, you drink, everybody, <laughs> everybody drinks, but us. So how about that?" <laughs> At nine in the morning. Yeah, <laughs> no kidding. So he said you better, you know, do, do what you're supposed to do. Don't do what the, the the Rolling Stones did or because he books 90 minutes worth of talent. And then they, we, we, we pr- uh, produce uh, 60 minutes. So there's room to yank anybody they want off before showtime. And, you know, it's a little threatening thing. We're not like that, you know, sure. we're just the four of us and we, we were here to work. And so, um, uh, it was, it's it's stress rehearsal and uh, and uh, they said I don't know if it was editor or not, but he said if Ed likes you, he'll motion you over, and, and that's a good thing. Okay, well we hope he likes it. <laughs> you know, we had a real silly little set that was supposed to be like a, a dock, and uh, you know, on a on a on a bayou somewhere, and so we're we're on this little thing and. Uh, it, he motions us over after we finished our, our, our rehearsal and he, he came over and he said you guys line up the way you are i'm going to get the the cue card guy because i want to ask you questions and i want to get your names right and so and the order so okay we were in this order and doug Stu, tom john and he had, they wrote a question down for each one of us and off ed goes to start his his lunch which was a liquid lunch up to show time <laughs> and he would have between uh 10 and 15 anna sets before show Well, wow. so that's why you know i don't want to <laughs> he couldn't he couldn't get it out and uh,
4: i never would have guessed yeah I thought it was false teeth all these years.
3: Mm. <laughs> he, he may have had those, but the, they, they probably helped him. Mm. But uh, anyway, they made us stay for an hour and sit on uh, in, in, on the, the, uh, the set. And they would say, song over. And so we would get up and we walked over uh, over to where there was a stand infrared. And uh, so we were up in per- perfect order for the questions and uh we we did it for an hour we didn't say a word we were hungry and and but you know it was lunch way past lunchtime but we did what we were supposed to do well it's showtime now and let me tell you it's a little nervous uh this was the number one show in the world television variety show sure it was the big time you know elvis i saw elvis there i saw the beatles there you know this was Ed Sullivan show. So we, of course, we get off. We're in order. We walk over. Well, Ed's pie hide now. So he go, he goes, that's great. That's great. And then I said, <laughs> he couldn't say Queen's Clearwater revival. So he comes across with, with his right arm and grabs me around the neck and pulls Stu up. We're out of order. All that time, that we're, you know, precisely the way we were supposed to come in to meet the keycards. Well, now he's asking, he's calling me John. And no, I'm not John. He's calling John, John Tom. And, and, and oh all man! we can do. All we can do to, to keep. From laughing. I don't know how we did it because our work is done. Uh, You know, we did everything that we were supposed to do. And now this buffoon has completely screwed the whole thing up. He can't even talk. Uh and He he, he, he reeked, you know, of alcohol. And so they didn't have uh, an elevator in the old Sullivan theater and they put us on the fifth floor dressing room too the, the highest, the mm. most stairs, you know, just, just making sure that they, they, you know, we got the message. So we ran, you know, <laughs> we've just done the old Sullivan show, you know, holy shit. And if people only knew how, how hokey, right. Was, That's great. You know? Wow. Yeah. It was, it was just, it was absolutely classic. What a story. Wow. I never would have guessed. What song
2: were you got? Did you guys play?
3: I think we played. Uh, we did uh, uh, "Proud Mary." We wanted to do, to do two songs, and they said, "No, you, you 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 can only do one." And we said, "Well, what if we do uh, you know uh, kind of a medley?" And we so we did two songs: "Proud Mary," and I don't re- I don't remember the second song. I'm going to have
0: to look that up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you, you can watch the clip. I saw it's out there. It's 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 great. <laughs> well, it's really going to be great now. Mm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to watch it again. <laughs> I take it the
4: interview didn't make it to air.
3: Well, probably not. I've I, I've seen reruns of the show, and I, I really specifically wanted to see that 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 part of it, and uh, they didn't play it. So, but, well, you know, Ed got busted for a DUI oh. that year, and we did his show a, a second time, and he was st- stone sober and not near as much fun. So, <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, and back then you could keep that kind of stuff under wraps too you know yeah yeah. not today of course but no internet no uh, none of that so one thing i wanted to bring up which i I touched on earlier is like i said i was a record collector as you were i saved my allowance to uh buy 45s the first album i bought was the white album so that was the end of 1968 i was eight but i had already bought a bunch of 45s and i've got eight of those and i still have the credence clearwater revival 45s what was cool about you guys and I can't think of another band other than maybe the Beatles was both sides of those 45s were hits. Both sides were played on the radio. Proud Mary, Born on the Bayou. Bad Moon Rising, Lodi. Green River, Commotion. And how about this one? Fortunate Son, Down on the Corner. Really? It had to be two number one hits. Yeah. Run Through the Jungle, Up Around a Bend. I mean, wow, it's just incredible.
3: Mm. We never had a number one single. Not a number one. Never. Uh, we had more number twos to this date. We still hold the right. We had more number twos than anybody else, and they were most of them were double sided hits. So we're burning, you know, uh, uh, twice the speed. I call this the Roman candle of rock and roll. And and the people said, why did you put? We put out three albums in '69, hmm. and uh, the Johns. I said, why are we? Why are we putting out so so much? product i mean you know plus we would tour behind these things and so you know busy schedule yeah and uh, he says if we're ever off the charts we'll be forgotten i mean he was serious i Mm. said what (laughs) nobody everybody's off the charts you know you you know they put a record out and then it's it plays through and then they're on the road you know pushing that record Mm. and uh, we're on the road pushing that record, or maybe a future uh, song that's going to be out. But we didn't. We didn't go through and say, "Oh, well, this will make make it two two hits." We just put it. what we had the, the, that that uh, uh, was on the album, huh. or are going to be on the album. We actually even would cut singles in between albums. Go in and cut a couple of tracks that are going to be off the next album. Which was don't don't put. Uh, pre-release stuff uh, because you know you will lose sales. We, we did did everything that you weren't supposed to do, and we had plenty of sales. I mean, we you know we were the number one s- uh, selling band for two years in a row. We were the first band to outsell the Beatles. Mm, uh, nice. And I, that was you know I told them that uh, last night. They already knew it because uh, you know it was a Beatles uh, right. channel. Uh, yeah, we, we we were the guys, and uh, and. We, we were competitive, you know, we would look at other bands and go, you know, well, we're doing better on the charts than they are. But oh, the ba- bastards got a number one. <laughs> we, we, we're, we're right underneath the number two. I, I used to call us the Avis of rock and roll because Avis was a car company or a rental company. And they said, we try, we try harder. I says, we're the Avis of rock and roll.
0: Well, it's it's funny because so many and we're all Beatles fans here and everybody always talks about, you know, how the Beatles produced just such such an a, you know, amazing amount of music in a short amount of time. And a lot of times over the years when that comes up and people are like, you're hard pressed to find another group that did that. I always have said credence, man. I mean, look at what uh, look what they did in this short amount of time. You're eight singles. So 16 songs in between January of
2: 69 and December of 1970 yeah <laughs> that's astonishing man busy 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 yeah you guys yeah did you have any time off at all
3: not much not 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 in that time period you know uh to uh, your point earlier you the uh, describing my my playing you know i i'm 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 there for the song yep. and i'm and i and start with the group with the groove that works and then the, the that'll that'll dictate what I'm going to play break wise. And, and also what, what's happening in the song, you know, what's happening in this chorus or verse, or there, is there something there as sparse as, as the breaks were, it had to have value. It had to have more value than the, the, where it started and, and more value than where it ended. So it had to be, uh, uh musically, uh, making sense. And, uh, uh, Ringo was the same way, the most underrated guy ever. You know, look at how big that band was and, and how, how great they were. And no one ever said, you know, God, man, listen to what Ringo's. Doing. Well, I did. Well, yeah, well, you were a drummer. The drummers
2: hear it. People did not appreciate Yeah, the, the parts that he came up with for those songs, which it reminds me of what you did, too, which I want to bring up one before I forget it. Down on the corner. Now, usually everybody's gonna set up a big chorus, da 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 down on the corner, but you didn't. You no. went down on the corner, t- out in the street, tata William. He played at the end of a two-bar phrase and at the end of the four-bar phrase of that chorus. It's like stuff you don't think of. You know, if you listen to modern music on the radio, man, it's they're always gonna hit a big crash symbol on the downbeat of that chorus, no matter what. You chose not to, which makes... That's so cool, so intriguing. That one song
3: to me, the it was, it was such a different song. It was a calypso song, really, and it was so different. And it wasn't a rock and roll song. And I even asked. I said, you know, that's not a rock and roll song. What are we doing that for? Well, you know, you you know just figure it out. So uh, I figured it out and re- realized that, you know, it, it, this wasn't a rock and roll song. So it didn't need a, a, a something, you know, like sh- coming in and shaking a, a, a cabinet in, <laughs> in a small room. It needed, it needed to just move, move in that, in that vein. Uh, I mean, market, you know, you play something there because you're going into the chorus, but you, it, 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 it's kind of soft and, and it, it kind of cuddles it up to to the to the chorus part
2: and it's one of the first i mean because you didn't do that kind of a hip-hop it's really like a hip-hop beat boom da, 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 da. it's like you didn't do that beat a whole lot you did it here and there you did cut a little bit in proud mary but you, you didn't do that a lot but you you did it through the whole song on that song which was yeah, you yeah. did it perfectly cool.
5: Yeah,
3: my, my my point exactly. That's that was that was the song. I mean, that was the the, the, the root of the song, and 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 Stu's bass, uh, it was right right there. So it, it's good. That that was good good enough. In fact, to your point, I mean, I'm not going to mess this up and try and put a bunch of things over it because I'm unfamiliar with the you know that kind of song. I just right. just listened and worked. At home, I'd, I'd, I'd use a little Sony cassette machine and put it on the floor in the rehearsal room, and, uh, and uh, that was my note taker. And I could talk into it and turn it on and off, you know. And then then I would take that home with me and put put it on on my uh, four track machine, and then I would I'd work parts out at home. Uh, At night so I didn't waste people's time in the in in the rehearsal time say hang on I'm gonna figure this thing out it wasn't that I figured it out at home Mm, it's great
4: yeah did you always find um a a preference to taking the song and woodshedding it and figuring out the part or were you ever
3: spontaneous in the studio yeah about half and half a lot of times it was just really obvious if I didn't get it and, and and down in the corner was one that I, you know, I really had to think about it and really make it make it work. I, I had to come from a different different place in, in my thinking uh, and my routine. So uh, it, it ended up paying, paying off. Well, it sure did. It's very impressive track.
0: Yeah. We're going to shift over a little bit and talk about um, cover art, uh, cover artwork and whatnot a little bit. Oh. Um, so uh, I'll let Hugh, uh, Hugh drive the ship here.
4: Well, cover art's always one of those subjects that that relates well to some artists that we speak to, and sometimes you know there's several phases to how how I, I find my own curiosity about musicians and cover art. I mean, there, there's you the, the the you know the young consumer of music who is motivated by the covers you see in the store, and then there's you as a, a member of a band who largely with CCR was mostly personality driven. Most of your covers were. shots of the band and and not highly conceptual covers now that doesn't include magic window magic window is a pretty cool still a portrait but there's still a nice overlay of the window light on you which i think looks very cool I'm, i'm i'm curious to know how much art has influenced your response to music purchasing music as a as an art form and also how much you got involved in the um the artwork for your projects whether it's ccr or your own solo album
3: well the solo album was my son grady great he did the did all all the art for it and our first album my wife did the the art for it there's an arch right the cosmo record the first 72 record no no the the credence clearwater revival's first album
2: yeah, it's kind of psychedelic blue. It has like a Fillmore
4: vibe to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, artwork to you, just as a buyer and as a, you know, an observer of the music business. I mean, how much did it motivate your response to, to the music that you purchased, and also, um, were you in pretty much at the behest of of the record company when it was CCR because you were too busy touring and writing, or? Did you also get involved in, in hiring the photographer and uh, in, in involving yourself in the location for the photo shoots and things like that?
3: Well, uh, yes and no. Um, the 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 first album cover, the one I just showed you that my wife did, uh, they didn't know what, you know, rock, rock and roll or any, you know, they just said, she, she said, I can... Somehow the conversation came up, and she's a, she's an artist, and she's still you know we have studios both of us in the house, and uh, and uh, uh she she told Saul's answer, oh I can come up with something, and she did, and and they she said they, they you know they liked it, and and we were broke at the time, and they gave her two hundred bucks. Now two hundred bucks in nineteen sixty eight, we were we were rich there for a minute, and uh, uh, you know but it. It's it's kind of cool because uh, th- that's the first album cover that, that we had, and and uh, my wife did did the work on it. So I was surprised on
2: listening to uh, uh, Magic Window. First of all, how much your vocals have developed from your first endeavor, the Cosmo record. Well, yeah, that that was an experiment. That record, though, I, I went back and I, I had never heard it, and but I went back and listened to it yesterday. There's one song on there. Regret it for the rest of your life. You sing that pretty good, man. And the band, you got Tower of Power horns. Band is smoking on that.
3: That was fun. That was a lot of fun.
2: And and didn't you cut that
3: record in rehearsal room or something? Yeah, it was at Cosmos Factory, and we were gonna. We wanted Stu Cook and I and Russ Gary, the engineer from Green River, on. Wanted to have a production company, and there were no uh, remote ve- vehicles for recording in the Bay Area. You had to go to L.A. to get a truck. So we thought, uh, you know, uh, we could get a, get a truck and and use that either rent it out or go and and do on-site recordings for capital. For projects that we wanted to develop, and we 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 did. I did uh, uh, Groover's Paradise album with Doug Somm. I produced it, and and uh, you know, of course played drums on it. If you get a chance to listen to that
0: album, and
3: that is I will. I Doug Somm's great.
0: We always like to talk to people about you know some of the bigger shows they played on, or people they played with, or whatever. But we have to ask you to tell us the Woodstock story and, and just your experience playing at Woodstock.
3: Well, we were uh, we were doing an Andy Williams uh, TV special in LA, and uh, that w- was cool because and, uh, we there it was an odd and very eclectic uh, group of of artists that he had. He had the Osmond brothers uh, uh, on there, but he also had yeah. Ray Charles. Oh wow! And uh, there they, they he Ray was having a reunion. The first time in years with the Raylettes, and it was just the coolest thing. And uh, you know, we saw them, and they were so so happy to see each other. And uh, and we we sat and listened to their entire rehearsal, and uh, you know, met Ray, and uh, that was really cool. But the problem was there were two unions uh, in that show, and they had different times, different breaks, and and when one would take a break. You, you had to take a break everybody had to take a break and uh, they had these fake rocks you know uh, and they uh, for, for the shot they, they needed the rock moved six inches so one of our guys our Rudy went over there and, and just moved it and the place went Not they shut down So you can't touch anything this is that's ours you know this is our, our rock we do we you can't touch anything in here. You just, just do your job and don't try and get in the way. And it was really weird. And so, anyway, they kept having problems with equipment and this, that, and the other thing. We kept, kept, kept changing our, our flights to go to New York for this. To, we had no idea what was going on there. And finally, we said, okay, you get it on this take. Otherwise, we we have to go. We've got a. This is the last slide. It's a red eye, and we've been patient with you guys. And and so anyway, we did. We got the the last take. And in the middle of that take, there's a big feedback, and it's not a a guitar amp. It's something else. Some, some sort of weird feedback, and just goes. John rolls his eyes, and. uh, you know, uh, we got out of there and, and uh, on our way to Woodstock. Well, we, we were going to fly in and go to a small airport and, 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 and drive in. And so when we get, get to, to where we're, we're, we're going or heading in the direction, they said, you have, we're going a different way now uh, because you can't drive. Uh, what do you mean we can't drive? All the roads are blocked. people just left their got in and left their cars. The, the, there's 500,000 people there. and we looked at each other and went right there's probably a hundred thousand people there because uh, we had seen there were that was the, the year of the festival. so we played a lot of pop festivals where there was a hundred thousand and fifty thousand. So we knew what that, that size crowd looked like. And so we said, okay, here we go well, we, we we make it to the to, to to Woodstock or at least the outer area, and uh, they had a little bubble top helicopter, two man helicopter that became a three man helicopter. So I'm John's sitting in the middle. There's the pilot. Then I'm I've got my left cheek on John's seat, my right leg on the skid of the helicopter uh, with my outside wow. you know outside of the the copter. I'm holding on to the door so it doesn't flop in the wind. And then I'm holding on to his seatbelt and (laughs) a little uncomfortable, a little scary, but the sun was going down. And, uh, as we came up, it was, it would have been a great movie shot. Uh, we came up and, and the the sun, you know, amplifies colors uh, when it hits at a low level. And, uh, we looked, and we went, holy shit, this is, this is true. There's at least 400 plus here. And we just couldn't believe it. And as we landed we uh, in the backstage area, uh, we landed, and there was a building next to it. And two gals were hanging out of the third-story window, waving at every everybody that came into the helicopter. And it was Joan Baez and Judy Collins. Nice. Oh <laughs> We're going. Whoa! Yeah. This is interesting. So, we found uh, uh, one of Bill Graham's uh, people. They had a, he had a Winnebago and and uh, he was representing uh, Santana and the Grateful Dead. Well, those guys were out taking acid and you know, doing whatever they were doing. So they they didn't want to be anywhere near this guy. We were the last thing we wanted to be around is. And, and yeah, that stuff, and to get have somebody spike your your drink, uh, that's that's not fun. So we were we we stayed with him, and he had New York steaks and a really nice bottle of French red. Uh, and uh, we we just stayed with him, but that and that way we 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 had a connection with with the the, the people that were running it or supposedly running it, and. Uh, we the the dead followed us we were the headliners we were we were the first major act to say that we would we would do it and i i i know this to be true even though it wasn't true and i'm glad it, was, it wasn't true but all the big big acts were sitting around on the edge waiting for another big actor to to commit to this thing because you know these guys didn't know what they were doing they they had a great concept, and that's what we 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 just made our decision on. Hey, they, these guys are, are they're nice. Uh, they have a great idea. They, you know, they're they're a little inexperienced, and this really showed up when <laughs> the, all the fences were down, and and uh, you know, which meant we probably weren't getting paid. And uh, but we, we were there, and and, uh, and uh, we wanted to play. It, it, and the, the dead is on there and they're supposed to play for a lot of time while they go over it, of course. They played a 45-minute uh, version of Turn On Your Love Light. And the, the, there wasn't a pocket in there to, 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 to sa- save your, your life. Wow. And it drove us crazy. We had to listen to it. So we finally went on. It was like 1 or 2 in the morning. Wow. And... Uh, john said is anybody out there and they said we're with you and so you know there was rain and problems like that so there was electronics uh, um, that were not functioning and we had a you know it was a little rough and rocky start but we got everything to work and played and had a, had a, had a good set and uh and then we had to get out of there and we got out with a farm boy that had s- a snow tires on. Right. So We were in the muddy roads, the back roads, dirt roads, and he got us out. And I don't know how to this day, I don't know how the gear got in and how the, the our, our crew got in and how the gear got out and how our crew got out. I don't know. So, uh, but we had a gig the next night. Thirty-five hundred people in a tent with the nitty-gritty Dirt Band, but we had never missed it. We'd never missed a gig, and it would have been fun to hang out and watch what happened
0: after the sun rose. Oh, this is great, man! I I still appreciate these stories. Uh, It's it's awesome. What other questions do you guys have, Hugh and Dane?
4: I have a question that usually Dane asks, but before we forget to tell us, if there was a time when you were on stage, whether it was a benefit or something, where you were actually. Playing alongside someone that you really admired and you, you had a chance to actually play with.
3: Well, of course there was uh, Booker T. and the M.G.s. You know, my like I say, my idol was Al Jackson, and we we took him on, on thirty-one dates in, Amer- in America. And uh, I, I, as much as time as I could spend, I spent with Al. And now uh, you know, I just the, the way it worked is we were, we were playing in Memphis, and it was raining. And we went to stacks records and, uh, we told them we were coming in and we wanted to see the band. We wanted to meet the, the, the MGs. And, and, but they took us around, uh, Jim, the president, uh, took us around and, uh, showed us. And and when I got in there, Al Jackson wasn't there, you know, yeah. I was so bummed, you know, but I was happy to meet duck and Steve and, and, uh, Booker. And, uh, so we we're leaving and it was raining and, uh, uh, I was getting into the car, and a car comes flying in there, a Cadillac, and, and pulls into this parking spot. And he was going pretty fast. And I looked, and it was Al Jackson. And my hair was really long. Yeah. I had a long beard. <laughs> and uh, I w- wasn't the typical Memphis guy. And I came running up to him. I mean, I am excited now. And I, I ran up to him, and he opens the door. I says, you're Al Jackson. You're You're my idol. Uh, my name is Doug Clifford, and, I, I, you know, I, I, I can't, make, I, I'm so glad you, you came, and he turned back, and i be like, what is going on here? And then, I, you know, I, I, I realized, I looked at him, and I said, I'm scaring the shit out of this guy, and I said, oh, I said, I'm sorry, I'm the drummer for Creedence Clearwater Revival, and I was looking so forward to meeting you, and now now you're here so we're, we're on our way out but you know can i shake your hand and, and he said, oh, of course you know and so that's how it started you know me, meeting my idol standing in the rain and i said who will stop the rain i don't i don't care if it ever stops if i'm standing next to this guy that's a great story
0: yeah that's great well thank you so much for joining us today we certainly appreciate your time and and uh, it's so awesome to see that you're still still writing still making great music still putting stuff out there and doug so great to talk to you man
3: well my pleasure my pleasure it's always always fun uh, to to know that i i've been an influence to to, to to some players and that you know it's uh i call it the baton you know and when i was uh when we became you know, popular and had, we're having our success, I got, uh, gave me opportunities to meet guys like Al Jackson, uh, where otherwise I never would have had a chance to you know, meet guys. And, uh, you know, it's, it's like, and I'm reaching out and, and taking the, the baton from these guys. And then I, I've been in situations where I, I'm out, we played a cruise ship. It was all like 25 bands on it. And, uh, and, uh, the, when I was, we were doing our set. There were like twelve guys on the side of the stage, and I, I got up, and they were all drummers. Oh, they all wanted a picture. Sure, they did. They yeah. of course they them, did. You, why I'm a drummer, or you know, uh, the first records I bought were yours, and and I wore them, out listening to you, and, and I'm man, you yeah. know, here you go, here's that gun. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a give and take thing, you know, you do. And uh, with, and I'm sure all, got, you know, guitar players do it and whatnot. But you have, you know, you get to meet people and that you've influenced, you know, and, and made a difference in their lives. Well, that's pretty that's cool. That's as cool as it gets. And all I got, all, all I had to do was play, play some drums. Wow. I love playing drums. Yeah.
4: One of the benefits of time, time served. Yeah. Yep, yeah, that's right.
2: Yeah. That's right.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks again, our guest today, Doug Cosmo Clifford, legendary rock and roll Hall of Fame member. Thank you for joining us, Doug. We certainly appreciate it, and wishing nothing but the best.
2: Yeah, thanks so much, Doug. Yep, we'll
3: see you. I appreciate Good. it. Great to meet you. Great talking to you, man. Yep. Take it easy.
5: All the best. <laughs>